Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. And um, I'd, and I'd love to just keep going for a moment. There are so many people who give their time and their energy to putting on an event like this. Technicians, visuals, sound, welcome team. We had a kids party about an hour ago in the vicarage and the hall. Um, there's people making mulled wine and serving mince pies and the list goes on. There's an incredible group of people who just have poured themselves into tonight. So can we also give them a round of applause? We'd love that so much. It's amazing. So my name's Matt, along with my wife Anna. We have the privilege of leading um, St. Saviour's, and I just wanted to add my welcome to Anna's welcome, to Matt T's welcome, to say welcome, especially if you are here for the first time or you've been dragged along, hopefully not dragged along, if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you're not that churchy, and this is all a bit overwhelming, you're incredibly welcome, and we're very, very happy that you're here. We hope that you come back again, but let's see how it goes. Yeah? Good luck. See you on the other side. We, we all love the sanitised version of Christmas, uh, and so in uh, a picture that will hopefully come up in a second, um, Mary is glowing, not looking as though she's just walked 100 kilometres from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, on the road to give birth um, in a stable. Joseph is cool and calm and collected, not panicky or nervous, as he surely must have been. The lambs are looking beautiful, but there's no poo anywhere in sight. The wise men are clean-shaven, confident. They're not worried that Herod will kill them, which he said he will if they go back the wrong route and don't tell him where the baby has been born. And there are no shepherds in sight, shepherds in those days being very smelly. Why would you have shepherds in an idyllic, perfect, sentimental Christmas? In other words, we love idyllic Christmas, the one that's too good to be true. And the truth is that this idyllic version is too good to be true. Childbirth is a lot messier than that. Let me illustrate with a story by taking you back to the morning of November the 18th, 2013, for the birth of our first child. We'd booked into uh, the UCLH Birthing Centre, an incredible place, uh, which feels more like a hotel than a hospital. Heated birthing pools, scented candles, easy on the ear, calming music. We even potentially lined up some soothing whale sounds to go. Doctors and nurses literally looking as though they're floating everywhere in total reassuring control. But we never got there. When Anna's contractions began uh, early morning, everything just escalated really, really fast. And instead of the UCLH birthing centre, in, in fact, instead of UCLH, we found ourselves on the fifth floor of a block of flats we'd moved into the day before. Quick fire punching the ground floor button on the lift for the doors to open to take us down. I remember it was utterly freezing, really, really cold. And then Anna said these words, I think he's crowning, which in baby speak means it's happening, like now, it's, it's happening right now. Moments later, Anna's stand leaning against the wall in the reception area by the front doors, barely able to walk, breathing heavily with our son knocking on the door of life and getting impatient to come out. Time to dial 999, police, fire or ambulance. Ambulance, please, where are you? Well, what's your postcode? Pause. I actually don't know. 
The truth, which is a painful thing to admit, and especially public place like this, is that I didn't know. We'd only moved into in the day before, and it was 12 days before due date, which is maybe why I should have known, but I didn't. Checkmate. Helpless. Desperate, heart in mouth, time stopping, and then already too late, but also in the nick of time, a London cab like I imagine Wellington must have felt when the Prussians uh, careered over the hill with the cavalry at Waterloo. The lights were off, but there was no one in the back. So I stepped into the road and stood in its way and flagged it down. And before the driver could get a word out, Anna was semi-standing in the back seat, leaning against the rearview mirror window, shouting to the driver, I promise I won't get the upholstery on the seats dirty. I just need to get to hospital. Please take me to hospital, please. Now, doors slam. Taxi U-turns, and we're racing up the Albany Road to the hospital. And it was at this moment that our son decided enough was enough, and it was time to make his entrance stage right. So it was on a cold November morning in the winter of 2013 on the Albany Road, in the back of a London cab, that he was born. Meters from the birthing center, close, but as my father likes to say, no cigars. He was blue-gray, as I remember it, not breathing. And everything was very, very messy. I actually remembered a daytime TV lambing program, which I'd watched when I was a student, should have been doing some work, where the farmer had shaken the lambs around a bit to get them breathing when they were born not breathing. And I, I just remembered it at the time, so I did the same, and it worked. And he began to breathe and to pink up. And we pulled into A&E at UCLH, where some paramedics told the cabbie, it was ambulances only here, you need to go away now. To which our cabbie replied, I've got an expletive, you fill in the blanks, dot, 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 baby in the back. And the rest is history. Here's a picture of our boy. And after we'd been discharged the next day with the driver, Gary, who brings presents every Christmas, and who we thank the Lord for every single flipping day. What's that got to do with Christmas? I hear you asking. Hold that thought. In 2008, uh, in his memoir on mortality called Nothing to be Frightened of, Julian Barnes um, opened uh, it with this sentence, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. In a word, he sums up the dominant narrative and the dominant mindset of our secular age. There is no God. And at the same time, he, 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 he kind of um, focuses in on the cracks in that narrative, a generational yearning for transcendence. I miss him. And if you look at the data from our 2022 national census, this does seem to back up what Julian Barnes is getting at. The results highlight a decline in religious belief. The first time less than 50% of the UK population claims to be Christian. More and more people don't believe in God. In other words, the results in the data show what we all knew to be true anyway. Nominal Christianity is dying. Cultural Christianity is falling away. And by nominal Christianity, what I really mean is the dead faith of the living practices, traditions, even some beliefs, but ultimately no personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore no spiritual vitality. So as the dead faith of the living well dies, what is happening to those with faith, with living faith? It seems that spiritual hunger levels are paradoxically growing. It seems that more and more people don't believe in God, and at the same time, more and more people are missing him and have started searching. A recent poll from last year published by Comres suggests that young people are coming more spiritually hungry and curious 
as they become less religious. Over 50% of those in the 18 to 34 bracket pray monthly. That demographic is twice as likely to pray as the over 55s. The 18 to 34s are three times more likely to attend a worship gathering. The spiritual longing of the British public, it seems, especially among the young, is truly alive and kicking. The polls sought to understand why people pray, when and where they pray, and what they pray for. And here are some of the findings. Among the respondents who did pray, most said they prayed for family and friends. That was 69%. People who are sick, 54%. To give thanks, 51%. Guidance, 45%. Forgiveness, 43%. Other focuses of prayer included the situation in Ukraine and Israel, Gaza, that was 32%. The community, 22%. And the environment, 20%. Among the non-religious, in other words, those who don't believe in God but miss him, personal crisis or tragedy is the most common reason for praying. So when I grew up, it's my birthday today, I'm 43, thank you. Um, I just wanted you all to know that because it makes me feel better, but I'm 43 and it doesn't feel like I'm getting younger, which I'm not, none of us are. Um, But let's not go down that track because that would become morbid very quickly. But I feel older than I've ever been and when I grew up, the biggest critique was that religion was an intellectual crutch. Religion was for those who couldn't face reality. Well, the last two decades has humbled us in the middle of a mental health crisis. Who claims nowadays to be mentally strong and to have it all together? In the middle of a mental health crisis, it seems everyone is searching for a crutch. When tragedy strikes and crisis kicks in, most people look up and ask for some sort of divine help, or in my case, literally taxi. And before you laugh at me, the evidence is now in because 50% of you would have done the same according to the Comrades data. What about a national or a political or, or let's go even further, an international or a geopolitical crisis? I think we can all say we're living through a time of great change. Uh, And at the moment, we have a mental health crisis. We have wars in Ukraine, Israel, Gaza, Sudan, and the list goes on. We have been through COVID and COVID recovery. We've experienced economic stagnation and the cost of living crisis that has spiraled out of control off the back of that. We have ecological and environmental catastrophe. And there's even been a new new word that has entered our vocabulary. Perma-crisis. Perma meaning permanent crisis. A permanent state of crisis moving from one trauma to another. And so the question is, what happens to those who don't believe in God but do miss him? in a context like the moment we find ourselves in, what happens? Here's a connection to the first Christmas, permacrisis. First Christmas, Israel has a puppet king. He's called Herod. He's acting on behalf of the hated Roman oppressors, imposing crippling tax burdens on his own people and acting in league with them. They've desecrated the temple, the center of Jewish worship and the center of the Jewish world. So people began to say help, or literally, Hosanna in the highest, which means God above, help us. Hosanna in the highest, help. Crying out for a king, crying out for heaven to break in on earth. And love you to just imagine a whole nation looking upwards and waiting for the arrival of the king. The expectations were immense. What most people were looking for was a warrior king, a military hero who would come and overthrow the hated military might of the Roman oppressors. 
And the truth is God did answer their cries, but only those who had eyes to see it could see and only those who had ears to hear it could hear because he answered in the cry of a newborn baby, born to a mother and a father out of wedlock in that culture, hugely controversial, teenage mum on the road, effectively refugees. And only those with eyes could see it. He was the king, capital T, capital K the one who'd come from heaven to earth, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And so this baby grows up. He begins to announce that the kingdom of God is here. He draws a line of continuity between himself and the creator God who says at the beginning of the story back in Genesis, let there be light. And it's like God is suddenly speaking again. In Matthew's gospel, he quotes the prophet Isaiah where he says the people walking in darkness has seen a great light. John's gospel testifies that in this Jesus was life and light and that that life was the light of all mankind. And then he says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never and will never overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And as Jesus grows up and draws attention to his heavenly identity as a light bringer, a messenger from heaven, God's own son, to come into the darkness and dispel our anxiety and fear to save us, he makes it concrete. Not just a way to describe his heavenly identity, but in his words and his actions, he literally brings heaven to earth. He liberates those in darkness into the light. He says he hasn't come for the healthy, just those who know they need a doctor, the sick, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, widows, orphans, the isolated, the disconnected, those on the margins. And there's a common testimony, like a thread that runs through everyone who encounters this man. He brings light and life to everything. Wherever he is, light and life seems to be breaking out in a way we've never seen before. We do not understand it, but it is amazing. The crowds follow and the crowds grow. His name is spoken on the lips of everyone who knows him and it creates genuine concern for those in power. The Romans stamped out revolution by stamping out revolutionary leaders, by killing the person in charge. To them, Jesus is nothing more than an inconvenient insurrectionist revolutionary. But there's more. Jesus was also on a mission of destruction to destroy the enemies of life and light. In other words, death and darkness. There was no darker way to die in the Greco-Roman world than crucifixion. It was utterly brutal and utterly humiliating. And darkness on the cross engulfed him. And then on the third day, something amazing happens. Resurrection. People start singing again. Light and life to all he brings. Or light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing on his wings. It would probably have been a little bit of a lower key and in Aramaic. But you get the picture. People are getting excited and starting to praise him. And he tells his followers to hold the light. And then he tells them not just to hold the light, but to spread it. To set captives free to heal the sick, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim good news to the poor, comforting all who mourn, providing for those who grieve and bestowing on them a crown of beauty for ashes and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And before returning to his Father in heaven, before ascending to his glory, Jesus says he will return again to put everything right. 
Let there be light ends with glorious light. The light of Christ is therefore a point of eternal union between heaven and earth. That's why we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this because wherever Jesus is, his kingdom is breaking out. And wherever his kingdom is breaking out, heaven touches earth. God with us, Emmanuel, the hope of glory. So I just want to make this concrete for a moment. What does that look like? That all sounds wonderful. It's Christmas. We've got the lights, the mulled wine's brewing. Hold your horses, some mince pies as well. But what does that actually look like for Jesus' light and life to break out in a community? I just want to draw attention to this place, this building that you're sitting in, 150 years old, 1879. Three words that have been associated with this Christian community, Christian community over the last 150 years, are welcome, refuge, and homecoming. I want to tell three quick stories. Number one, the Old Dairy, which is a pub, wonderful pub. We love the Old Dairy. Many of us may be heading there after the service later. But the Old Dairy is literally named after a dairy. And the milk, the excess milk taken from the cows would be used to feed the children of um, the local poor, those who couldn't afford milk for themselves. An incredible story, just right in our midst. Secondly, post-Windrush generation, so post-war when the Windrush generation came over here, many people who exist, a number of people who are in this congregation or known to this congregation have testified to say they didn't feel welcome in many places in London, including to the shame of the church, but when they came to St. Saviour's, they felt welcomed. That's an incredible legacy of welcome, refuge, and homecoming in this place, in this building. And the third story is about a boy called Johnny. He was born in the then maternity hospital next door, which doesn't exist anymore. But it was a maternity hospital. If you spend any time in this part of town, you'll meet lots of people who were born there in the, in, over the decades. And one night, um, some nurses from the maternity hospital came round to the vicarage, which still exists, where our kids were having a party about an hour ago, knocked on the door. And the reason they did that was because they knew that the vicar in the early 1970s was a man called William Norton, who had been a missionary in China and had married a Chinese woman called Mary, and they'd come back to live in the vicarage and lead the church. She was Chinese. He spoke fluent Chinese. And so they said, listen, we don't know what she's saying. We think it might be Chinese. Could you come and translate for us? So in the middle of the night, in about 1973, William and Mary went round to the maternity hospital And this young woman basically said, I've come here to train as a nurse. I've become pregnant. My parents will never uh, accept me back. So I have this choice and I can't accept the boy. I can't can't keep him because it would mean that I wouldn't be able to go home. And there and then, William and Mary, who were in their 50s and who had never been able to have children, said, we'll take him. And that night, the boy came and lived in the vicarage and he was raised there as Johnny. Side note to the story, when I was training to be ordained in 2018, 2019, an amazing woman called Anna Uh, trained with me. I'd never met her before. She showed me a photo on her phone of a young Chinese boy outside the St. Saviour's in 1974, five-ish. I said, who's that? She said, that's my husband. He's called Johnny. And I have a story that I want to tell you about the church you're about to step into. It has an incredible legacy of welcome, refuge, and homecoming. That is light and life breaking out wherever he goes. The crowd saw him and they were amazed by what he did. 150 years legacy in this place. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Let's talk about the last four years as St. Saviour's since many of us have been involved in this, not all of us, but many of us have been involved in the last four years. Um, We have an amazing initiative called Break Bread. It happens every other Friday, every two weeks. And we just, some amazing members of the congregation cook food invite members of the community in and just eat and chat with them. It's the most beautiful community you can imagine. And it's a way just to find connection in a context often of loneliness, isolation and disconnection, especially amongst the elderly in this part of town where the the data is in and it's very extreme. And it's the most beautiful, about 10, 15 people 
just eating together every other Friday. That's light and life. That's heaven on earth. That's the life of Christ breaking out in this place. We do dance classes on Wednesday, running from age three all the way up to the elderly. And every Wednesday, three amazing mothers come in and decided to cook for all the children at dance. They've been doing this for the last year, year and a half. We've fed hundreds and hundreds of children a hot meal every single Wednesday as they dance. And it's the combination of the joy, dancing, and just the and, and the joy also of eating, which, is, which makes it such a special event. Light and life, heaven on earth. And then we have kids and youth. There were no children here four years ago. We now have 65 across a month. We have on average about 40 on a Sunday. And on Sundays, if you come and join us, and we hope that you do, about 10.30, the confidence, the voices in worship are starting to raise. People are starting to say, gosh, there's something in this Jesus figure. There's something in this person that as I worship him, as I bow down towards him, I feel light and life breaking out within me. Heaven is breaking out on earth. So let's bring it a little nearer home. What about me and what about you? How do I respond? How do you respond to this Christmas story if we aren't going to get dragged into, and there's a good side to that every cloud, but dragged into pure sentiment and pure shints? If we want to actually engage in the story, how are we supposed to respond? And the encouragement I would offer, the invitation is offered there in the Bible. It's spoken in Psalm 24 uh, by probably King David, who often faced challenges in his life, huge hardships, regularly ended up in caves with his enemies trying to kill him, um, and regularly getting things wrong. But when he tried to strengthen himself in his life, and when he tried to encourage himself in the Lord, he would speak to himself, and this is what he would say to his heart. He would say, my heart, would you fling wide the gates, fling wide the gates of my heart and let the king of glory in. And my encouragement this Christmas is to do that. I have no idea how to do that, are you saying? That's fine. It's okay. Just ask and, and, then, and then wait. But the prayer is, Lord, this Christmas, would your light and would your life break out just as it did 2,000 years ago with an oppressed people, just as it did 2,500 years ago with an oppressed man, just as it's doing all over the world with 2 billion people who regularly testify to the incredible impact that Jesus has on their life when they fling wide the door of their heart and they welcome in the King of glory and they say, come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? In other words, would Christmas not be something that happens to me, but would Christmas be something that happens in me? this season. Make my heart a stable. Make my heart a Bethlehem this Christmas. Holy Spirit, would you come into my life? So I'm going to invite the band up to perform a song in the bleak midwinter. Um, But as they get ready, um, I'd love to pray. And the invitation is for you to to join me, to be led by me, and and to make this prayer prayer your own um, this Christmas. It's a picture by an artist called Holman Hunt, painted in the early years of the 1900s that now hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. It's up there on the screen, and it's called Light of the World. And it's a picture of Jesus. He's the figure in the middle of the picture, knocking at the door of a human heart, asking to be let in. And I actually find it quite a helpful visual aid um, into uh, prayer, into um, 
asking the Lord to come into my life and die. I only offer, that, offer it in case it's helpful for you too, um, uh, but equally feel free to close your eyes and ignore it. Yeah, so Lord, we, we thank you for Christmas. We, we thank you for family and friends, for food. We pray for those who, who might not experience that this Christmas as well. We, we just, we recognize that Christmas is something that very much happens to us in this culture. And, um, and we're not gonna get self-righteous and look down on it because a lot of it's great fun. But actually our prayer today is that we would encounter Christmas that we would make Christmas welcome in our hearts. And so I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. It goes, thank you, sorry, please. Um, And my encouragement is to echo it in your heart if you um, want to make this prayer your own. Um, So Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that wherever he is, light and life break out. That heaven touches earth and earth touches heaven and we regularly have testimonies where we say I can't believe it's the most ordinary thing nothing's changed and yet everything has changed nothing's changed and yet everything's changed and so we thank you that wherever Jesus is the kingdom of God is and where the kingdom of God is light and life break out thank you Lord we're sorry for where we're living lives that are not quite true that aren't quite real and that aren't quite right where we just get things wrong. Lord, forgive us. And lastly, please would you come into our hearts by your Holy Spirit and make our heart a stable, make our heart a Bethlehem this Christmas, that we would fling wide the door of our hearts. And if that's too strong, we may just open it a crack just to put a a toe in the water. And if that's too strong, pay an interest in someone who does. We ask, Lord, by your spirit, you'd help us understand what it means to have soft hearts that are open to your spirit and that welcome the King of glory in. Because when we do that, everything changes. Amen.